welcome to the Squats and Science podcast hosted by USA National Team Head Coach Aaron Comesti and SNS Barbell Owner and Coach Joe Cristando. In this podcast, we go over various powerlifting topics in detail and use real-life examples to help you better understand key concepts. Welcome to Squats and Science podcast. Episode six is Joe Cristando here with Arian Kamesi. Um, we're going to do a little world's recap. Uh, Arian got back last week after being there for like a week or so. You want to just give us a quick rundown of uh, your time there? Yeah, I was there for the entirety because I had um, one of my own lifters that was in the first day, first session during the Masters. Uh, so I, and I'm also the open coach now, so I end up having to be there the entire time. So basically I flew from Fort Lauderdale direct to Copenhagen cause it's a cheaper and easier airport to fly into. So most of us did that. And then you just take a train, um, takes about an hour from Copenhagen over to Helsingborg and the hotels are pretty close there to the station. So it's pretty easy to get there. Uh, and then starting from the first day, I had my own personal lifters I coached. And then in the middle, a little bit, I did some refereeing and uh, learned the scoring system because they use a different scoring program than we use in the U.S. And they're trying Mm -hmm. to implement that now at the different regions. So I got to learn it for the North American region. And then during the Open, pretty much every session except for the 120s, we were there coaching. So it was pretty pretty good two weeks there. And it got a little easier as it went along because obviously when you get to the Open, um, teams have less lifters. And it's spread out by each weight class. So it's a little easier to coach one lifter, maybe two lifters, versus like in the Masters, some of the sessions, uh, some of the teams had six lifters or eight lifters on two platforms going all at the same time. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah. And, and overall, Helsingborg was nice. It's a little warmer than we were hoping for. Um, and the um, hotel didn't have the best AC. The mm. venue didn't have the best AC, but... We, we work what we had. We slept with our, our window open and the fan blowing some air in there. Um, and the, the sun was up like almost all the time. So it was a little bit weird too, like with the sun being up at 11 p.m. Um, food's a little bit different, but it's all stuff that you get used to. And if you've ever been to Europe before, it's uh, very similar to other European countries. Yeah, the, the big downside of going to Europe for me in the summer is the no air conditioning thing. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah, it, it, they 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 had a little vent in the hotel, and you can like maybe feel a little bit of air coming in. But there was no thermostat in our room to control the temperature, um, and it wasn't very a lot of air coming out, and it wasn't very cold. Other people in other rooms said maybe theirs was a little bit better, so maybe we got just like a crappier room. Um, but just the different things you have to deal with depending on where you go, because we've been to places where. It's freezing, and the, and the warm room is like 60 degrees, so yeah, both sides. Yeah, that's where adapting as an athlete and a coach comes in. Yeah, and in this case, the, the hotel, for example, the breakfast is way better than like in Japan for bench worlds. <laughs> as far as the, uh, those of us like that come from like that American style, um, for about pretty much all the hotels, I think, had similar breakfast. So I had lots of different breads and cheeses and vegetables, eggs, pancakes, waffles, different juices, um, yogurt, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and it was included in our price. So we just wake up early in the morning, go down there and just devour as much food as we could. Uh, my assistant, Bill McCarthy, would 
take some food with them over to the venue too and right. then coach all day uh, because when we go back a lot of times especially during the week the restaurants would close a lot of them will close at nine o'clock some of them will close at 10 and then all will be less oh, left open with some fast food places 11 or 12 unless it's like mcdonald's it's like 24 hours so sometimes by the time we got on the bus we walk back to the hotel like all the places were closed yeah yeah it's good to stuff your face before a meet because usually you don't even get time to eat during the day yeah basically just like bring a protein bar with me and we'd bring some uh energy drinks with us and uh they actually had like a little um food court area downstairs and we had some crappy food like some little cheap microwavable pizza or like a hot dog if we had time <laughs> and then the the sessions where i refereed they gave a meal ticket and upstairs they had like a uh restaurant up there and they had an ice cream meal up there so i had like a uh like a steak and vegetables and bread and stuff like that when I was refing. Nice. Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> let's dive into this. Um, first thing I want to talk about is just how coaching at Worlds works in terms of you coordinating with your assistant coaches as well as athletes, um, personal coaches, if they come along. So I don't think a lot of people probably understand how it works once you get there. So if you want to just elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, so usually I base the number of assistant coaches I, I have on my team on uh, how many personal coaches are coming on the trip to figure out what space I need to fill in and whether the, the assistant coaches can um, afford to come since they get just a very small stipend to cover the trip. So if it's like in, in the U.S. or Canada – it's more likely to find people interested in being an assistant coach versus where if it's like Sweden or Belarus, it's much more difficult to find people to be an assistant coach because it's going to cost them maybe $1,000, $1,500 just to come and, and help out. Right. So the assistant coach kind of varies like that. So, for example, for this team now with the Open, um, it's half the size of when I had my sub-junior and junior team, and everyone's spread out more where it's usually like one lifter per session. We're only allowed like three coaches in the warm-up room. So I only really needed one assistant coach um, because most people brought their personal coach with them. Um, right. For the per personal coaches, I would just, after the lifter accepted their spot on the team, I had a form sent out very early on saying like, okay, are you definitely sure, definitely not sure, um, or maybe somewhere in the middle uh, of whether your coach is coming or not and what's the name of your coach to kind of like keep track of that. And then once it got closer to it, then I would send out information from USAPL that the coaches had to fill out. So there was like a, a coaching contract that they fill out, that they make sure they do their safe sport uh, program and background check, that they make sure um, they do their anti-doping learning course. So they have to go through this stuff. If they did it previous years, um, they're already good for this year. If there was like their first time, then they had to do it for this year. Um, and each country does a little bit different and things change over the years so we've changed ours for USAPL over the years where we had these new steps put in place and this year they were doing it originally they were doing it where you have to have taken the USAPL coaching course or they would give you leeway for this year if you were a referee um, which cut out some of our coaches so I spoke with um, the head of the coaching uh, coaching uh, committee which is Donovan Thompson this year and saw if I can get some extra leeway for my open team just for this year where if it's a coach that's been on the team before and, and I know that they know what they're doing, can I approve them to be back there? So he gave that to me. So basically 
I can pick who I wanted to be personal coaches back there. But as far as I've seen going forward into next year and beyond, the coach, personal coaches, assistant coaches, head coaches, anyone who wants to be back there has to take the USAPL coaching course and have to at least be a club-level coach. Right. So they're, being, they're starting to be a little bit more strict on this stuff to make sure everyone knows the protocols and procedures as far as like how to present yourself in the warm room, how to be dressed, how to communicate with referees and other staff members so that there's no kind of issues um, with the, the meet staff or the referees or the IPF in general. Right. And then in terms of um, like delegating tasks, um, so in the warm-up room, you're how, how does that work? You, you just let the personal coaches take care of warming them up, or you have uh, hands and hands-on in that? No, we're hands-on, and we go stuff go over stuff beforehand. So in the four to six weeks leading up, I'll send a form out each week where the lifter sends their heaviest training numbers for squat, bench, and deadlift that week, and their body weight for that week. That way I get some numbers of what they've done in training and I get some videos to see how their lifting is and their body weight to see how much weight they need to cut. Then in the, the five to ten days right before the, the championship, I send out a, a uh, Excel sheet. That's what we use for people to fill out what their warmups are and what their attempts want to be and a, a note section to mark like any kind of stuff they want as far as what their goals are or any records they're trying to break. And then I review that with what they're sent in for the training and what they've done for their past results. And I'll give some recommendations. Same with my assistant coach. Like, Hey, maybe we should adjust this number here and here, or maybe we should make sure we're doing a zero and a half kilo chip on the world record here. Um, or, Hey, you, you miss a lot of your squats. Maybe we should be a little safer on squats and save it for deadlift. So we give the, all that information back to the lifters and coaches um, of what we think of their game plan. And also, depending on who the coach is, I might communicate with them directly beforehand or some of I even communicated while we were there. For example, Jason Tremblay from the Strength Guys, I communicated with him in person there. We sat down, we went over the game plan, we went over their lifters, uh, how long it takes them to warm up, if they need to do a lot of bathroom breaks and all that kind of stuff like that. So that way, when it's time to actually start warming up, we're all on the same game plan. We're all loading weights. We're all adjusting the rack heights. We're all spotting, watching depth, giving handoffs um, all together. So it's, uh, we're, we're very much in there working with the personal coach. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, is there any scenarios where you give a recommendation to a personal coach and they disagree and push back on it? Like, how, do you, how would you handle something like that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that happens uh, every year. Um, so it's just, could be the personality of the lifter. It could be the the coach. Sometimes when like the parents are the coach for their their sub junior junior lifter, they they feel like their their kids the best and their kids unstoppable and everything like that. Yeah. Um. And sometimes just it's just inexperience. Um. Everyone's affected differently from travel and time zone change and weather change and the sun not going down and food and how hot it is and the stress of it being a world championship and you got all these cameras in your face filming you in the warm-up room and on the platform. So everyone reacts differently. So um, we had people react differently based on their performance. And so people don't realize that they might underperform based on all those variables. So right. they're always planning for the best case scenario of, of everything going perfect in training and everything in the weight cut going perfectly. And so sometimes there is some fight back and we try and show them like, hey, look what happened these previous days with refereeing, look what happened these previous days with people cutting weight, or um, look how your previous meet results are for the specific lift. 
and try and work with them on finding a middle ground, especially on, on the opening attempt, because we can argue the second and third attempt all day, but we're going to make that call based on the previous attempt anyways. So right. let's figure out the warm-up and let's figure out the opener that we know for sure they can hit. And then after the opener, um, they'll be more open to discuss the second attempt based on the speed of the first and same thing with the third attempt based on the seed of the second and seeing what the rest of the, comp- uh, the competition is doing. They'll be more likely to follow our game plan or meet something in the middle. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and sometimes, I mean, every country is different. For our country, we, we, it does say in the contract we do get the last say, but some coaches are differently. Work differently even though with, with that rule in there. And so sometimes if the lifter wants that weight and, and the coach is fighting back on that weight and um, it's not going to really affect like the team placing and they already have a total and stuff like that, well, we give them their weight, that weight that they want. They're the ones who work for it. They're the ones who paid everything to get there. Um, it's their time on the platform. So you give it to them, especially with the open team. They're all adults. They all can be responsible for their own actions and they can go out there. They either make the lift or they don't. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting scenario. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's talk about your personal lifters. So you had a, you had a handful of your own clients competing. Um, you want to just go over how they did? Yep. So that's why I was there from the the very beginning because I had a few master lifters and then I had a open lifter. So that first day, the first session was Chiaki Takada. So it was her second nationals, her first nationals. She got second place, then her second nationals she won, and then this was her first worlds. So she did um, pretty well for being her, f- her first worlds. And like I said, all the travel and everything affects you. So it's a lot harder to um, perform well in these international competitions. But she still was able to hit a 2.5 kilo PR on the squat. Uh, we had a little bit of issues on on bench with the liftoff and and be able to just execute her technique, but she was able to still get a bronze medal on the bench. And then she ended up getting a two and a half kilo PR in the deadlift, which was also the gold medal in the deadlift. And then she ended up finishing with a one and a half kilo PR in the total and the bronze. We had basically bronze locked up since she had the biggest deadlift by the time her third deadlift came on. So we took a 10 kilo jump to try and uh, get into the silver and she got it up to like maybe mid shin or the knees and, and, just uh, lost her grip and, and lost a bar. So um, maybe a little bit disappointing that we don't know if she would have been able to lock it out if she could hold on to the grip or not and get mm-hmm. silver. But it's still good to get um, get three different PRs and um, three different medals, including the bronze medal in the total in her first Worlds. Yeah, being able to podium at your first Worlds is pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, then my next lifter was a, a new lifter, Roxanne Lord. We actually uh, met down here in Florida at Iron Sisters camp, and this is our, our second meet together, our first meet in person. So she had a uh, local meet coming up like a month before Worlds. Basically, she wants to just practice some things and make make sure she makes weight. So we did the local meet. She cut down from like, I don't know, 85, 86 kilos down to 84s and competed in the local meet. And then we assessed whether we wanted her to go 84 or 84 plus at Worlds because there was an opening um, in either spot and there was benefits to each one. So, for example, 84 plus, you don't have to cut weight. And um, we knew we can get definitely third place, maybe second place. With 84, you, can, you have to cut weight. But we had a chance to squat world record. And it was a little bit more of a cluster between second and fourth place. So we didn't know if we'd get on the podium or not. 
Right. Uh, she ended up wanting to do the 84s, so we did the 84s. She ended up getting a 3-kilo PR in the squat, which is good enough for the gold medal and the world record. Um, she's a little bit interesting in her descent and her depth. Her depth is actually like better when she like goes down slow and almost like pauses in the bottom. Yeah. So it looked like she pause squatted the, the world record. They even said on the live stream commentary, said, uh, <laughs> talking about her pause squat. So that was good that we basically made the 84-kilo class and got the world record squat, which is what she wanted. Um, and bench, we had a little bit of issues. Like, you never know what's going to happen in competition. So basically what happened on her opening bench, I believe it was, is the previous lifter missed it 2-1, to one, and the coach went to the jury to go protest it. And while they're doing that, they're loading our weight up. The chief referee says bars loaded for, our, for us. So Roxanne walks out there, and as she's walking out there, the, the chief uh, of the jury comes over to ask the, the referees why they made the call. So as the jury is talking to the head referee about the previous call, Roxanne is setting up, getting everything, getting her lift off, and next thing you know, she has the bar over her chest ready to get a start command, and the chief referee is not paying attention because he's busy talking wow. to Wow. So now she's holding it for, I mean, to me, it seems like forever. I'd have to go back and look at the video. Is it five seconds or 10 seconds? Yeah. And they, they stop talking and they look over at me. And I'm like pointing over at her like, hey, like give her the damn command. So she gets the command and like gets the press command and barely comes off her chest. Before I even walk over to the jury to complain, like another jury member comes over. is like, hey, it's fine. We'll give you a relift. So when I'm getting a relift, getting it in. And then um, went up, it went up fast, but. So I went up five kilos, but thinking back, I probably should just play it safe because one, we're in a battle, and two, now she's taking four benches. Yeah. Uh, and, and and with shorter rest, so I probably should have just gone up two and a half and played it safe. But I think I went up five because that wasn't the plan, and we were well, we went up missing a couple benches, so got a little screwed over in the bench there. But it, I wasn't too concerned because taking whatever it was, fifty-seven point five or sixty, was only a two and a half kilo difference. Right. So okay, we'll make that up in the deadlift. So. She ended up going um, deadlift e easy on the opener, so we took like a 10-kilo jump. And then our second attempt, again, things that you, you don't think would ever happen. She goes out there for her second attempt, and she sets it in the bottom position, and she goes to pull, and her belt wasn't latched correctly, and oh the belt God. just opens up and, and, and comes apart, and so then she just stops and puts the bar down, and they're like, no, you did your attempt, you're done. So well, now we're like, so now we're like, crap, now we missed our second, but it wasn't due to strengths. So we have no idea how much more she has in her. Right. Be like, hey, should we retake it or should we try and push more and try and go for placing? So I talked to her a little bit, bit out of like, hey, how long, how did it feel in your hands for like the, the couple inches you moved it? <laughs> said it felt fine. Um, she said her goal was, was to come in and do uh, 300, and we were at, I believe, uh, 287. So it was going to be like a big jump, but I was looking at the, the placing and everything like that and how everyone else was doing, and I was like, okay, we'll go 137.5 kilos, which is 303, uh, and it would move us into silver, and then we'll see if we can hold on to silver. So she ended up getting the 137.5 uh, with looks like some more in the tank too, so we made a good call there. That was a 7.5 kilo PR on her deadlift, and she ended up finishing with a 5.5 kilo PR on her total. And it ended up being after some other people missed. She got the bronze in the deadlift and the silver in the total. So it ended up even with the bench issue and the deadlift issue, it worked out well where she got silver. There was no way she was going to catch um, gold, which is another USA lifter. And she ended up getting the world record squat. So it turned out to be good in the end.
Yeah, um, it's a pretty good turnout for some bad yeah. circumstances. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so then my other two lifters were part of the Canadian team. And since uh, USAPL, like, um, pays for some of my expenses and stuff to go there and coach the U.S. team specifically. I'm not supposed to be coaching other countries because I'm not supposed to be like helping them out against the USA. So right. for the, for the other two lifters, I I gave them the game plan going in. I wrote some notes in there for the coaches, but I told the coaches like, "Hey, you guys are are the coaches. You guys make the decision on attempts, and you can talk to lifters." So for Francis Manius, um, I just watched from the crowd, and uh, it was actually. She competed at nationals as a 63 and uh, applied for the 57 kilo spot because there was already two 63 kilo spots. And for IPF meets, you can't send more than two lifters in a weight class. So Canada already had two 63s and he already had 157. So he said she can go as the second 57. So it was her first time actually competing in the 57. So that's an interesting scenario. It's like you've always competed as a 63. Now you have to compete as a 57 and travel internationally um and make weight at worlds because if you don't make weight then you don't get to compete and she also applied for one of the coaching positions so she was the sub junior and junior coach so she had the coach in the days leading up too so a lot of things going on but she has plenty of experience in powerlifting and bodybuilding and she has uh me doing her programming and 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 everything like that so she put it all together she made weight and she actually totaled the same that she did at nationals of 63 and the 57 so that, that worked out well for her, and she's very happy with how she felt and everything like that. So the plan is to now stay at 57 and see if we can uh, up the total and go for some Canadian records and stuff for nationals. Right. That's a big a big IPF points uh, PR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the, the final lifter was uh, Alyssa Smith. She was competing in the, in the Open. So, again, uh, I had to coach our lifter, Kristen Dunsmore, during the same session. So I let the Canadians just coach her based on my game plan. And it, it would tend to end up being an all right day, but she didn't um, hit any PR. So she ended up hitting half a kilo under her best squat. Her best is 193. She did 192.5 on the second. They went for 197.5 and a third, which is the same thing I would call. And she was, I, I thought she would have gotten it, which would have been a, a PR on the squat and a bronze in the squat. But it looked like she just bottomed out her depth. Like she just went too deep and yeah. then tried to fight through and couldn't get it. So she just missed out on that. Um, no PR on bench. And then she ended up just tying her her PR on deadlift. And she ended up finishing sixth out of uh, 23 lifters. And that those top five were like were like stacked. They're all like 520 kilos or something and up. And we were at 497.5. So... It would have been nice to hit some PRs and maybe get a bronze in the in the squat, but like the placing didn't change. She placed as high as she could, right. uh, even with that performance. That was a seventy twos, right? Yeah, it was seventy twos. Yeah, the the top of that class is insane. Yeah, and that and that was with Kristen Dunsmore hurt since her glute had been bothering her going in, and and she ended up just taking a token squat. So yeah, she, Kristen was nominated fifth or sixth, and then was just in the bottom because of the squat. So right. if she had actually been healthy on the squat, that would have been another person in the, in the mix in the top, and it would have been even crazier um, with all those lifters battling it out. Yeah, it's a pretty competitive class. Yeah. <clears throat> um, all right, let's let's uh, let's get to the thing that I think everybody wants to know. <laughs> uh, we put a poll up on Instagram, and this is the question we got th- the most frequently asked. Um, so how do you deal with the the problem of – 
coaching two lifters, uh, Daniela Mello and Amanda Lawrence, who are both U.S. lifters competing against each other for basically for the gold. Um, I watched that that uh, that flight and it, it was insane. So I can't even imagine trying to handle that. Uh, you want to just go into detail about how you approached it? Yeah, so I, I, we discussed a, a little bit of about this uh, scenario in the last podcast in the right. preview, and the the previous scenarios that have come up is if you have two lifters in the same weight class for for the same country, but they're not coached by the same person. So if we have two um, eighty three lifters, for example, Sean Noriega and John Cruden a couple of years ago, there's a couple of different ways you can handle it depending on whether you have um, a lot of coaches or not a lot of coaches. So if you do have a lot of coaches, what you do is you would put one coach d- dedicated to one lifter, one coach dedicated to the other lifter, and then the head coach um, would just watch over both and make sure everything is going correctly, go to the jury and everything like that. That way each lifter has a coach in their corner only focused on them and making sure they try and win and strategizing that way. Right. It's- if you don't have enough coaches, which we haven't had in the past sometimes because we have sub-juniors and juniors going at the same time, is that you would have one coach dedicated to both lifters, um, timing their warm-ups and everything like that. When it comes to attempts, I, I would give them recommendations saying, hey, based on the speed and based on the game plan and everything like that, this is the way that I would go with. But in the end, you make your choice for a weight you want um, because you have to kind of be in your own corner and you have to know your own capabilities, and then if you make them, you win, and if you miss them, then then you lose. Right. But, but we never had a situation where the both of the lifters are also coached by the same person, and the, and that coach was there too. So yeah, there's a lot of discussion leading up of of talking with uh, Joey of what we're gonna do, talking with the lifters what we're gonna do. Um, <clears throat> last minute, Danny convinced um, Sean Noriega to fly out there to help her out uh, with just warming up and everything like that and having another set of eyes since he has coached her before, uh, both programming and picking attempts. Mm -hmm. So he was also there in the back room. So the back room was me, my assistant, Bill McCarthy, and then Sean and Joey as the personal coaches. So, yeah, I mean, a lot lot of discussion back and forth on game plans beforehand and and discussing attempts during. And since they would be like back-to-back on squats, Joey would have to like go out there with Danny and then we'd have to get Amanda ready. And then uh, Joey would have to come talk to me about attempts for, for Danny uh, real quick and then get Amanda going out there and watch Amanda and then come over and talk to me about squad attempt for Amanda. So uh, it was a little hectic going back and forth, but we had plenty of coaches there, plenty of eyes on there. Um, and I, I gave my, again, I gave my recommendations of what I would do for attempts and how to chip records and everything like that for the squad and the bench, but but ultimately, like Joey was making the calls for Amanda, and Joey and Sean were making the calls for Danny. So Danny went three for three on on squats, and Amanda went two for three on squats, missing the third just on depth. We went to the jury, and the jury member was like, "No, it's parallel." Then um, Amanda went three for three on bench, and Danny went three for three on bench and hit the world record on the final bench. So. Then it came to deadlift, and the scenario even gets gets worse now because if it was a scenario where they were on different strength levels on different lifts, then right. it wouldn't matter when it came to deadlift. It's like, right. okay, if you guys were 30 kilos apart on deadlifts, well, okay, the first one goes and then puts an attempt in, then the second one goes and puts an attempt based on the first one, and you right. just go back and forth. 
but it just happens that their strength levels on deadlift are pretty much the same as well. So yeah, then it just became like um, even a crazier situation, and we're just discussing a lot of things um, during the warmups. And so one of the decisions we decided to make, and I made the final decision on it, was originally Amanda's deadlift opener was above Danny's. Right. Um, and I didn't want to change Amanda's because it was her, it was her first worlds and she has um, sometimes issues with grip or shoulders or whatever like that. So I want to just stick with her opener and make sure she gets one in and then she can go to whatever she wants after that. But for Danny, she has a lot more experience at Worlds. She makes a lot of attempts. She doesn't have as many of these technical issues. And we said in, in any area, any other scenario, if it was Danny versus a competitor from another country and the other country was opening after us on deadlift by half a kilo or one and a half kilos, wherever it was, and the tolls were that close, we would change our opening deadlift last second and go above them so that we're pulling after them and seeing their lift first. Right. So I said, okay, I'm making the decision that we're, that because Sean and Danny want to change her opening deadlift up a half, one and a half kilos, I'll agree to that, and we bumped up Danny's opener so that way, Amanda went first, and then we put a, a, a jump in that, that Joey wanted. Then Danny went second, and she matched that jump. Then uh, Amanda went again, and we just put in a big number because it didn't matter. You get two changes on your third, so we put in 275. Yeah. And, and, and then Danny went, and we just put in a big number. We put in 270, wherever it was. So then at that point, it comes down to the final deadlift, and... Part of the issue, yeah, with having two lifters in the same class with the same strength deadlift and coached by the same person is you can't necessarily do any kind of strategy, right? Because you know exactly what's going on. Yeah. So, so what was decided was, was Danny was already in the lead. So let's figure out a weight that Danny could do on her third deadlift to push her lead up further, and then Amanda has to do the final pull for the win. So if Amanda makes three deadlifts, she wins. If she makes two, then Danny wins. So we discussed the numbers. Um, Joey thought a number. Sean thought a number. I, I thought a number. We discussed it all. Um, Joey was thinking like top end. She had 10 more kilos in her. Uh, Sean was thinking top end uh, and being a little safer. He thought she had seven and a half kilos more in her. Um, so I just went and did, I think it was like a six or six and a half kilo jump just to make it the even 252.5. Right. So we put that in, and Danny missed it. So then Amanda could drop down because she had the lot number she could, and the, uh, the body weight. She can just drop down to 252.5, and she could take the shot at it, and she ended up getting it and, and winning. So, right. then, so then she ended up winning. They both end up going uh, 7 for 9 or 8 for 9 because yep. Amanda missed the squat and Danny missed a uh, deadlift. So they both made the same number of attempts. It just happened to be that. Amanda made the heavier attempts in the end, and and that's how it was decided with the with the body weight. Right. Um, so so one one scenario that I, while I was watching, and I'm probably wrong about this because I'm not very good about deadlift strategy. But if Danny pulled, if you made a five kilo jump on her third, which is a super conservative jump, and she pulled that, she would have forced Amanda to pull something heavier than she did right yep yep so that's why i was trying to talk with them to figure out something that like they they feel um danny could definitely hit today yeah then force amanda to have to pull even more something that she's never pulled before right so yeah joey thought 10 sean thought seven and a half 
in my mind, yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of thinking five just to be like super safe, go five, yeah. make a main and have to pull 257.5, right. which I think she, I didn't think she could do. Right. But now looking back at the videos um, of Amanda's third deadlift, I think Amanda could have done another five. I think she could have done 257.5. Right. There would have just been high, higher risk there. Yeah, it would have been higher risk. Maybe she would have lost grip or something like that. But but looking back at it, I'm thinking like, man, if if I had made the decision to go up only five and Danny would have got it and then Amanda right. would do 257.5 and Amanda got it, then everyone, of course, would be thinking like, oh, well, why didn't you go up seven and a half or why didn't yeah. you go up ten? Like, so, yeah. I mean, uh, the hindsight is twenty twenty. Like, regardless of what situation you pick, you're always thinking about the other situation. So. Yeah. Uh, another situation, like uh, some people were saying um, or thinking, was like, "Well, why didn't you just leave Danny at two seventy, and just and just wait it out? And once they say bars loaded for Danny at two seventy, well, Amanda can't go below that, and now they're both stuck at two seventy, and Danny wins. Well, again, it goes back to being coached by the same person, all of us being in on it. We know <laughs> we know Danny can't do two seventy, so then we would have just put a change in." For Amanda to go down be- below that before they say bars loaded, right? So, I mean, that would have been another scenario. Then you would have been like, okay, if Danny's just sitting at two seventy, Amanda has to pick a weight. So then between me, Bill, and Joey and Amanda, we'd have to be like, okay, Amanda, Danny's just gonna sit it out at two seventy and 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 wait for you to miss. So you need to, we need to figure out a weight that you can do. Yeah. So then we'd have to figure out a weight that Amanda can do. The minimum would be 252.5, and then anything above that would push Danny further and further. So, yeah, I mean, who knows whether, what number we would have picked, um, whether it would have been the right attempt, whether she would have made it. It would, it would have been another, uh, another way to, to run the scenario. Um, I mean, I probably would have been conservative just because, um, just because of the jump from the second to third and the fact that... Uh, she doesn't often make eight or nine lifts in the competition. So right. I might have been conservative and gone 252 or 255. Joey may have said like 257 or 260. Maybe we would have met somewhere in the middle of 255 or 257.5, which again, I, I think Amanda would have made it. And then Danny would have to go half a kilo above that because of lot number and, and body weight. So then if like Amanda did 255, then Danny would have to do 255.5 and she would have missed that one. Right. So it it would end up most likely it would end up in the same exact situation because Amanda was the stronger lifter on the day when it came to the deadlifts. Totally. I just from a, so yeah from an outside perspective, I just thought because Danny was up in the subtotal that going five would have been less risky because I think she probably yeah. could have she probably could have pulled five, and then you you still would have forced Amanda to pull something heavier. But it's like she could have just pulled it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That that's what I was trying to think is like, okay, pick one way would have been yeah, pick something conservative to pad your lead further and force Amanda to have to like do a big pull for the win with all the stress on the line, everything like that. And the other way, which I believe I've, I've discussed in one of our previous podcasts about temp selection, would be that you already have the lead. So once you already have the lead, I mean, it'd be if you were going against another country, is to now force the weight up further and further using your your changes. So, for example, let's say Danny initially just put in her third attempt at 252.5. Okay. So then Amanda's at 275 and Danny's at 252.5. And we still have two changes. Right. So you can wait a little bit for the temps to go through, make sure you got second uh, locked up. Then you can bump Danny up to like 255. 
and then um, see if see if Amanda does any changes. If they don't do any changes, you still have one more. So if they drop down, you can always drop down, or you can use your change to maybe bump it up a little bit more, go 257.5. And as long as it's within something that the other country thinks you're capable of, they still want to pull last. So now they say bars loaded for Danny at 257.5. Now Amanda can't go below that. So even if you miss, you're already in the lead. Now you just need Amanda to miss at 257.5. And, and maybe maybe she would. And basically both of them missing would just end up in the same position with Danny already in first. Yeah. So that, that's another strategy you can do is just like, hey, I already have the lead, so let me just keep bumping the weight up on the bar up. And if we both miss, I still win. Right. Yeah, it's just <clears throat> the just insane that it's you know there's no way to no way to really do that if it's the same coaches for both people. <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's just it's just crazy that like okay we got two lifters in the same weight class, one was open and one was juniors. Then Jen Thompson had to back out during dur- due to injury, so now Amanda comes up. Now they're in the same division. Now they're coached by the same coach because Amanda switched over to Joey after the Arnold, and so like everything just like added up to this end where okay now we're coached by the same lifter now we're now we end up coming down to the deadlifts and they have like similar strength to the deadlifts and then what do you know they both end up totaling exactly the same weight um for for a world record and so it's like like you could see it coming like slowly over the months so like okay somehow Maine is going to make the team and then you're like oh shit now they're coached by the same person <laughs> you, know, you know it's going to come down to the final deadlift like what's going to happen yeah it's a, I think that's a first this is a pretty ridiculous scenario <laughs> yeah so uh, now, they, both, now, they, now they can all they can all go and assess like what their strategies were and whether they want to do the same thing for nationals or whether they want to split them off for nationals or <clears throat> whatever right. they want to do right. um, yeah I mean they both did really well anyway so it's all, it's all good. Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> talk about Ray. Uh, that you know, pretty pretty disheartening to see. It felt bad for him. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough because people people like him so much. He's such a nice guy, and, and everyone wants to see the, the five hundred kilo squat go down. Uh, everyone watching, all those competitors probably wanted to see a five hundred squat. Uh, the coaches want to see, it, and probably him. He has this number in his mind that, like, he wants to. He broke the thousand pound barrier, and now he wants to break the five hundred kilo barrier. Right. Uh, so it was like a big thing coming in, and yeah, it just went terribly wrong. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty brutal. It seems like it's just it's something like that. You just there's you have no control over it, right? It's just like a really bad circumstance. Uh, yeah, because um, I, I don't know all, all the details. Ray's probably like the only person that knows all the details of, of his life in, in, the, in the weeks leading up and what happened there and afterwards. Um, but as far, as far as I know is um, he hit 1,000 a, a or 1,010 pounds for a double in training, and then he hit like 1,065 or something like that as his last heaviest squat. And when... Uh, right before he left the U.S., I guess he was like 187 kilos mm-hmm. uh, body weight, and then he flew over. He had some some issues with his flights. I think maybe a flight got delayed, and then he, he then he had some trouble getting in on time. So he came in later than he expected, and then um, the next day he comes and gets on the scale at the at the venue, and he was 177 kilos. So all of a sudden he's down 10 kilos. Jesus, and and so they're like. Matt and Ray are like confused, so I guess Matt hops on the scale 
and it gives out a good reading per map, but they're like, okay, let's go check out the other platform scale and see if that one says the same thing. Hops on that one and it says 177. So they came over and told me that, and the first thing I'm thinking, like, oh, well, maybe his scale at home is wrong. Maybe the 187 is wrong. Yeah. But even if the scale at home is wrong, you still have the meat weigh-ins from the Arnold and Nationals and all that stuff like that where he's weighing 185 or 190 or whatever like that. Right. So, well, so like, there's something off. Maybe it's like all oh, the traveling, being delayed, not eating enough, being dehydrated. Um, for, for me or you, that might be two kilos or two and a half kilos. But for someone his size, it might actually be more. Maybe it's like five kilos or six kilos. So maybe some of that was attributed to that. But maybe there's something else going on too. Right. Um, so he went back to his room, I guess, and ate and drank. And, and when Matt went, out, went over there to his room um, – after all the lifting, he said there was plenty of food there, snacks there, drinks there. Like Ray had been eating and drinking um, or trying to. But then when he weighed in on the meat day, he was even lighter. He was like 176.1 or something like that. It's so now, he, now he's lost even more. Um, so they put in this, the same openers to start with because it doesn't really matter. We'll warm up and see how it goes. Um, and the original plan was something like 450. 478 for the world record and then 500.5 to break the 500 kilo record um with the extra chip just takes more time for them to set up the weights and give us a little bit more extra rest because there was only 10 lifters in the group so we were like okay we'll go that was matt's idea go 500.5 just to give them some extra time yeah that was the original plan as he's warming up squats i mean the warm-ups were were fine um until um depth depth like warming up was a little bit iffy but I was telling him that, and that's always just because like there's not enough weight in the bar. He needs more weight to push him down, so I wasn't too worried about it. Yep. The last warm up um, comes up fine out of the bottom, but at the lo- at lockout he was like a little shaky. Um, so then we talk and we're like, okay, it was fine, but it was like a little shaky at lockout, and he's lighter. Let's just take the 500 off off the game plan for today, and let's drop him down. So we decided, okay, we'll drop him down to 440. That way, if it's still everything is going well, we can go 440, 460, and then 478 for the world record squad in the third attempt. Right. So we're like, okay, we'll bring it down from the 500 down to 478. And if for some reason it's still going bad, like he's done in previous competitions, he can just pass in his third. So he could at least get like 460 on the second to help for his total and pass on this and his third if he needed to. Um, and then, then as you saw, like he went out there for the first one, like barely even came up. Um, went out for the second one, got up a little bit higher, and the, the third one actually seemed like the best one. He got up like the highest, was fighting through, and then just lost his, his balance forward into the rack. Um, I'm not sure if he stood up with it, what, what we would have got for lights. I think Bill McCarthy went and asked them, and they said that it was high, so it's possible he would have stood up with his third attempt, yeah. got into the meet, and then it would have been like two to one reds or something like that. Then we'd have to go to the jury and, and argue uh, to the jury on depth, and then like the jury would have to decide, like basically uh, with that one attempt, who's the world champ? Is it Ray or is it Jezza? Yeah, yeah. Um, so who knows what would have happened if if he stood up with it, and um, uh, and then after the squats, um, I'm not sure if this is like maybe he ate something bad and he got like some kind of food poisoning, or if he was just sick or something like that. Because after the squats, um, he wasn't feeling good. Obviously upset that he bombed out. He felt like he embarrassed himself. We're trying to talk to him, like, no, you didn't embarrass yourself. It's fine. It happens to people. Let's see if we can get like a couple benches in, build some momentum, and then let's see if we can get you a medal on deadlifts and finish it up instead of just like quitting and going home. So he's like, okay, right. fine. 
But then that's when he started feeling more and more sick. So he was like going to the bathroom peeing a lot, and then he was started puking. Um, and since there was only ten lifters and it's only one flight, you only get a twenty minute break. So as soon as as soon as Ray missed that four forty third attempt, and they're like struggling to put the bar in the rack, and then. He's, he's standing out there, and then Matt's talking to him and bringing him in the back, getting his knee sleeves off, putting his shoes back on, and everything like that. People are coming to him and saying, like, hey, sorry, what's going on? But by the time all that's happening, you're already down to, like, 15 minutes left or, like, right. 13 minutes left because the clock starts immediately. Like, they won't give any time. So so it was, a, it was a big rush. So then we're, like, trying to get him under the bar to do one red, and then he's in the bathroom um, puking and peeing and he's not feeling good. So we're like, okay, let's just take the bench off the cards. Let's just do one token bench, pass on the second and third to just give them more rest. Give them 20 or 30 minutes to just sit down and relax, and then we'll come back for the deadlifts. So we're trying to figure out what we can get him for a bench, and he does like 160 for his last warm-up, and his pec starts cramping up on him. So I was like, okay, let's just drop him down to 125. Let's just make him the first lifter in the group. Yeah. So that he gets it knocked out, and then we'll pass on the second and third. So he goes out there, and he does 125. Then he goes into the, the men's changing area and just sits down there for the rest of the first, second, and third. And uh, he's just saying it's like too it's too hot in there. He can't hold anything down. He's trying to take Gatorade and electrolytes, but he's either peeing it out or, or puking. Um, so that's why it seems like maybe he got sick from something he ate um, in, in combination with the weight drop. So... It wasn't just the weight drop, I think. I think it was because um, with the weight drop, he could have still finished the meet. But I think just being sick and just constantly not being able to hold any fluids uh, and constantly puking, uh, he couldn't keep up with the pace of the meat. And then his body started cramping up on him. Yeah. So he sat, he sat down there for a while. And then once it was time to warm up for a deadlift, so we're like, okay, let's come out. Let's try out a few deadlift warm-ups and see if we can actually get a medal. Or if we need to, we'll just shut it down and just do one deadlift and uh, call it a day just so he gets the total. Um, and he goes out there for the crowd. So it was like two reds load up on the bar, and he's like trying to set up to go pull. And uh, he tried like a number of times, like three or four times to try and grab the bar and bend down. Uh, but as soon as he tried to bend his knees, um, that tension on his hamstrings would cramp up his hamstring. Jesus. So he couldn't, he couldn't even get down at that point to um, deadlift 125 kilos. So I, I told Matt and Ray, like, hey, let's just, let's just shut it down. There, there's no point like forcing it to like try and push for metal or even like try deadlift um and get like hurt then you have to like fly all the way back home on an airplane like with like a straining or hamstring or something like that it's, it's like not worth it yeah. uh let's focus on like future nationals and future worlds and his his job and his livelihood and everything like that so they're like okay that's fine so he went back to the men's changing room because it was a little bit cooler there than in the venue he went back over there and he was just laying down there um trying to trying to drink without puking. Uh, we got one of the IPF referees who's also a doctor to come over and look at him and talk to him a little bit about like how much weight he's dropped and how he's feeling and what, if his muscles feel like tight, where does it feel tight, this and that. So they're talking to him. Um, and then we're like, okay, let's just, get, let's just get him out of here and get him back to his hotel and relax before like the lifting finishes and the awards finish because then like everyone wants to come talk to him. Right. Everyone wants to come take pictures with him and talk to him what's going on and bother him and all like that. Like, let's see if we can get him out of there. So we talked to the jury and said, like, hey, he's cramping up. He's puking. He's not feeling good. We want to get out of here. 
as long as you guys don't need them for the wards or for drug testing, you want to get out of here. So they said, fine. So we, we, he came over, packed up all his stuff to uh, get him out of there. And even just getting him out of the venue was, like, difficult. Like, just going from anyone who was there, like, from the warp area to the to the weighing area, just walking there, he had to, like, stop, take a break. Yeah. Um, he just had, like, no energy left after, like, trying to push so hard on those squats and having no fluids in them. And, and just, like, all that was getting to him. Then made it from the weighing area to the front where the food court is. I pulled up a chair. As soon as he sat down in the chair, his like hamstring and his cramp, uh, his his pec started cramping up. Everything started cramping up on him. So went over to the, uh, Matt went over to food court, got up some Powerade, and uh, tried to sip on that. While Matt called up a taxi, and he's like sipping on some Powerade and then on some emergency powder just straight to his mouth. And I'm like thinking like. I should probably pull over a trash can just in case. <laughs> so I pull over, I pull over a trash can, and boom! What do you know? He's like trying to trying to puke again, um, and he's like just dry heaving into the trash can because there's like nothing left in him. Yeah. So Matt co- comes back after calling a taxi. I'm like, I'm like Matt. I think you need to take him to the hospital because at this point, he's like dry heaving. There's nothing left in him. He's maybe lost like ten or fifteen percent of his body weight. Maybe a lot of its fluids. He needs an IV. Um, and Ray's like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to go. I'm fine. I just need to go lay down and stuff like that. So so Matt made agreement with Ray, like, hey, if you're getting worse in the next hour, we're taking you to the hospital. And Ray goes, okay, that's fine. So the taxi takes him back to the hotel. Like, we have to, like, carry all the stuff over to the taxi, have the taxi pull all the way up. He got in there. I had to, like, help him in there. Matt takes him back to the hotel. He lays down, relaxes, and I guess he eventually with enough time of just, like, laying down, relaxing, uh, better temperature, um, drinking a little bit, showering, and taking a nap. He, he got better eventually. So eventually, whatever it was, uh, stomach flu or food poisoning, whatever it was, eventually he puked it all out and pissed it all out, and everything got through him. And um, he's not injured from any of the squats is what he says. Um, took a week off, and now he started back up his training. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, could have been worse. And, you know, everyone knows Ray is, will be back. It's not, uh, not going to stop him. Yeah, and 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 looking back at it, like people were like looking like, oh, well, you could have dropped a squat even further. And uh, we didn't know Jezza apparently has like has been dealing with knee pain for the entire year, so all of Jezza's numbers are down. I think he told maybe like seventy kilos or maybe more or less than his best because he's been injured. Yeah. So when we saw those numbers, we're like, oh, these look like fake numbers. They're gonna bump up the squat twenty kilos. They're gonna bump up the bench ten kilos. So we're basing it on them being healthy and having fake numbers in. But even then, if we had dropped the squat down to, like, let's say, 400, and let's say he got it in and we passed on a second and third, he still would have needed a big bench in Delft to keep up because he, he would have lost so much off his squat. Right. Uh, so he might have needed, like, a 225 bench and, like, a 350 or 360 deadlift. And with the way that the, the, how fast the meet was going with the 20-minute breaks and him being sick and stuff like that, I'm not sure he would have been able to do it. Um I mean, he only warmed up to 160 on bench, and he was cramping up. And apparently after he did this 125 opener, he, he told Matt, uh, what is that, 400 pounds? And Matt's like, <laughs> no, that's, that's 275. <laughs> so maybe, maybe he wouldn't have uh, been as bad if he, didn't, if he didn't strain himself so much on squats. But with the body weight down and how hot it was in there, and, and if he does actually have a, a food poisoning or something like that, uh, I'm not sure he would have been able to still win. Yeah, and if he was yeah. if he was that dehydrated anyway, because it seems like he just it was like s- severe dehydration. Yeah, 
probably wasn't wasn't in the cards for that day. Yeah, so maybe he would have gotten like, let's say, if we were able to get a decent bench and deadlift in before he would continue to cramp up, maybe he would get like fourth or fifth place. He would have had a total, but he still would have been disappointed. And um, and a lot of people talk about just in general, like, oh, he should have gone conservative and just taken the win. But you you think about it, like, let's let's say Ray's like a hundred kilos above everyone else in the pack. So he could have just gone to every single Worlds and just gone like 30 kilos less on squat, 30 kilos less on deadlift, and 20 kilos less on bench and just win every year, just cruise to a victory every year. I mean, I don't think a lot of people would be like happy with that or like yeah. um, satisfied with that and, and motivated each year to just come to Worlds and just like not even hit any PRs, not go for any records, just hit a 400 squat, a 225 bench, and then a 350 deadlift, just get another win in the bag and call it a day. Um, I don't think a lot of people would, would would like winning that way and be satisfied going to Worlds and winning that way. He wants to push his body and, and test what he can do. And, right. and the coaches want him to push his body and test what he can do. And so that's what how he got to the 1,000-pound squat, and that's how he's done the world records, and, that, and that's why he wants to go after the 500-kilo squat next. Um so with that, there is some risk. You, you, you're pushing the squat with with the openers, with all the traveling and all the other variables, and uh, sometimes it doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah it's uh, you know just fortunate that you know he didn't get injured or anything. Yeah. So um, he says he's back back home. He just started training again. Uh, he just got married. He'll be back down here in in Miami um, in middle of July for his Ray Williams Classic. So I'll be able to see him in person again in a couple of weeks, see how he's doing. Nice. Um, and then I guess it's back to Nationals to win and uh, go back to Worlds and uh, redeem himself. Yeah, yeah, he'll be back. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I guess we can go over just like um, our predictions from uh, the last podcast, <laughs> which uh, our we, predictions weren't very, very uh, good predictions. We didn't do very well with that. <laughs> But uh, but it, it's worlds and and these are all tight battles and and you never know what people are coming in with as far as stress from life or injuries or we had one lifter like uh, uh broke up with their girlfriend like in the weeks leading up so you never know what's going on with people but right. we made our predictions based on some numbers on a piece of paper and right. uh, most most of them were wrong <laughs> yeah we we were only right about Russ <laughs> <laughs> and 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 even again talking about Russ versus uh, Gibbs. Uh, I picked Russ if Gibbs wasn't 100% with the quad injury and stuff like that. Um, and and I don't know. I, I didn't ask him how, how he felt or whatever like that. So I don't know if that was like 100% Gibbs or 90% Gibbs or 80%. So who knows if um, if he was healthy or not or if his quad was better, if he could have pushed the, the squat. Because Gibbs still tried to pull that last deadlift to go back in the first place. So it was yeah. still close. Yeah, it so, was close. Yeah, so if, if Gibbs maybe had another five or ten kilos on squat if he was actually injured, then it would have came down to maybe Gibbs would have taken a more conservative third and put even more pressure on, on Russ for that final deadlift. So it was it was it was a close battle. And um if we had missed our third squad or bench, we may have lost because of the jumps we took. Um and and his third and Russ's third squat was like an all out grinder. So like he had missed out on those ten kilos. Um then it would we would have been in serious trouble at the end. So right. it was it was like a perfect day for us. The the most insane thing about that session was those two weren't even the top deadlifts. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, so when it, when it came down to, to the end um, and Gibbs missed, I'm like, okay, Russ has the, the win locked in. What do we want to go for now? Do we want to just like um, go for the world record total or do we want to go for the world record deadlift, which would also get him the world record total? Right. And, and, and there was two other guys battling it out, so it becomes difficult because then I'm like, okay, I think maybe we can beat one of these guys but I'm not sure if we can beat both of these guys, especially if we just put in a big number and just wait to the end. We have to pull something ridiculous. Um, so I end up okay, going, okay, we'll just drop down to 325. Um, I think it's a weight he can do, and I'll get him the world record total, which I think is more important than the deadlift. So it turns out, yeah, he got that one. I'm not sure how much he had more in the tank in him. Got the world record total. And then, yeah, then those two other guys went after the, the world record deadlift. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And you have 83s pulling, three 83s pulling uh, 325 and up. It's nuts. Yeah, so, yeah, we pulled 325, and then um, the Canadian pulled 326, and then the Swedish guy pulled 326.5. So if I was battling it out with them, I, I think the Swedish guy wanted to pull last, like, regardless. So I'm not sure how it would have gone, but maybe maybe we would have gone 326.5, and then the Swedish guy would have pulled 327 and taking it back, uh, yeah. we don't how it went down. But yeah, that, that's crazy. And then seeing Russ do 833, that would have got him third place in the 93s. Yeah, <laughs> that's nuts. And it would have got him fifth place in the 105s. That's... So it, it just part of it just depends on who shows up to, to Worlds. And it just happens that the 83s are really stacked this year with Russ and Gibbs. And, and we thought. Like Owen Hubbard would be up there. He ended up getting six because we got this Swedish guy at fifth, and we got Ulan, who's won before at fourth, and a Fatty Two Ball at third. So it was like really stacked. But then it just turned out where 93s haven't been as stacked since uh, Christopher's Vicky moved to 105s, and then now he's gone. Yeah. So the 93s are a little bit weaker. And then with with no Christoph and no Bryce and no Blevins and the other guys in the 105s, the 105s were a little bit weaker too. And so we just had our USA guy, Eli Burks, just kind of like cruise to a victory. Yeah, he cruised through that. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty insane, too. Yeah. Um, the women, women 63 Open was insane, too. Um, the Italian girl and the French girl both squatting world records in succession was wild. Yeah, I hadn't been watching the the French girl too much as far as like her training numbers and stuff. This, so I didn't know that she was capable of uh, that big of a squat to uh, break the world record. So that definitely came as a surprise. And then then she was able to sneak in to a third place overall. So that was pretty crazy too. But yeah, um, I had I had heard of Corolla Gara for a couple years now because of her bench press. And then the last couple of years, she's been focusing a lot on, on equipped and doing some big equipped numbers. So I've been following that. And then she did a, a meet leading up where she totaled um, in this like 64 kilos. So she wasn't in 63s, but she was close. But she totaled like 507.5. So it was just a matter of like, okay, with the travel and with the extra kilo cut, how much can she do leading up to that 507.5 or over it or whatever? Um, and I thought she did more than I expected because I didn't expect her to break that world record squat. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. A buddy of mine had told me about her a few months ago, and I kind of just dismissed her, uh, in at least in context of Sam Calhoun. And uh, when she won, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured, okay, 
it's a world championship and then there's traveling and the weight cut. So maybe her 507.5 will drop down, um, let's say, to 497.5 or 500. And I'm like, okay, well, Sam is at 500.5. And let's say we, we get a PR total. We get we get to 503 or 505. Then, then we'll win. But, yeah, I didn't, didn't expect for Sam to just have a little bit of an off day. Her squat wasn't there. She just ended up tying her PR. Bed, she had an issue with her butt coming up on her first one. So uh, we retook it. And then they just went for the, her original second attempt on the third. And then on deadlift, her 217.5 looked a little rough um and once she had second place locked in matt asked her hey do you just want to go to the minimum for the world record deadlift or do you want to go another 11 kilos for the to win and she wanted to go 11 kilos to win so we went to 228.5 f- um, for the deadlift world record and total world record and the win and uh she just got off the ground and just couldn't get it past her knees so yeah um, just wasn't there. She ended up totaling 492.5, so a little bit less than her her best. Right. Still still took silver, which is pretty damn good. Yeah, and another interesting thing about the the French lifter, um, going back to what we talked about, like every country's a little bit different, and head coaches, assistant coaches, personal coaches, and how, how they do strategy and what their goals are. But it was interesting to us that the French girl only totaled two kilos less than our lifter, Sam, and they didn't they didn't change the deadlift to try and even go for second place. Yeah. So the the French girl's second deadlift was actually pretty pretty fast. And so Matt was looking at it and saying, like, hey, this lifter might try and bump us um and drop us down to third and they might be in second. And then Sam will have to just pull uh two and a half kilos more to take back second if they make it. So we were ready there, like in case that lifter bumped up and made it, that we would just do the minimum amount to take it back, but they didn't do it. And um her third deadlift looked good. Looked like she may have had two and a half kilos more in her. But again, we don't know the strategy of all the teams. And right. one example I'll, I'll give of that is um, for the Philippines, Leslie Evangelista, one of the years, I believe it was in Calgary, had a chance of either pulling a small amount for a deadlift medal or pulling a bigger amount, I think maybe just two and a half kilos more, maybe five kilos more for placing and the, um, the, in the total and in the deadlift. Right. But according to their country and the way they work, their their rule is they take the the smallest attempt needed to win any medal because taking any medal back to their country will get them funding to send lifters for the following year. Right. So they actually took the smaller amount for her to just to get the easy Delif medal, and it looked easy like she could have gotten up a higher placing, gotten third place in the total. But they went with just the minimum amount to get the Delif medal. So they can go back to the country and say, hey, look, we want a deadlift medal for one of our lifters and so that they can get funding to cover their trip the following year. So we don't know how it works with all these countries. Maybe for her, they want to do that smaller amount for certain records or certain medals or a funding for their team rather than risking going up two and a half kilos more and, and missing it or something like that. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she still took bronze. So Yeah, she still got the wall record in the squat. Um, and she still got bronze overall, and I think maybe she got end up getting bronze in the uh, deadlift as well. Yeah, um, I think that wraps it up. You got anything else? Well, we could talk about some of the. Uh, I was gonna say we could talk about some of the the best performances because uh, a full recap of all the weight classes. There's plenty of um, videos out there from White Lights Media and the IPF that people can go watch, and uh, 
each federation has their own videos up. The USAPL has lots of videos up for our USA lifters, and there's articles up there. But just going over some of the the, the top performances, like who we, who we thought was like the the best lifter. Um, we talked yeah. we talked a little bit about Danny and Amanda already. Obviously, we talked about Russ. Um, but one of the weight one of the weight classes which everyone saw, which was really exciting, and we got wrong in the prediction. Was the fifty sevens was uh, Maria oh, yeah. versus Megan Scanlon, um, so that was pretty crazy that Megan Scanlon broke the world record squat on her second and third attempt. She broke the world record bench on her third attempt. She bo- broke the world record total. I-, I think on first and second. I think on her opener deadlift it was a world record total. Broke it more on her second, and M- Maria was just behind the whole time. Maria was. Missed her third squat. It was under what she hit at nationals at uh, a little bit of heavier body weight. Um, on bench, I think maybe she matched it or did a little bit less on that one as well. So we felt pretty good going on deadlifts. Like, hey, she's not hitting the number she hit when she was 60 kilos now that she's 57. And um, then she misses her second deadlift at 190 kilos on grip. It just slips out of her hand, which she's had that issue before just because her hands are small. Um the bars only one size for all the weight classes, and it gets stuck on her thighs with sumo deadlift. So we're like, okay, she missed the 190. We'll take a minimum jump of two and a half kilos from our second and third just to pad her lead more. And Megan end up missing that one. So they put the change in and jump all the way up to 197.5 to pull for the win. And what do you know? She goes from losing grip on 190 to holding on to 197.5 for dear life. For I don't know how many seconds it was that she's like. <laughs> <laughs> slowly fighting it up her thighs and uh, locking it out. Um, and then she gets the, the funniest part is she gets the down command. She puts the bar down. She does her regular like double tap on the weights and like bows to the crowd and just walks off like, like, a, <laughs> like a fucking like a fucking gangster. She just just tapped the weights, bows, walks off like yo, I just won. And then then the lights pop up and she sees her coaches go crazy. Jeff Buck goes crazy. And then she runs over and jumps out. But it was just. It was just crazy that someone can can have the world record squat, have the world record bench, break the world record total, and the total was from Jennifer Milliken, who had who had won multiple times and, and was running away with the weight class uh, a couple of times too when she would win. So Megan Scanlon broke that and and still lost on that day. Yeah, it's insane. It was just like and it was like an insane finish and just a uh, crazy performance by uh, both of them. Yeah, both of them really threw down that day. It was. Super fun to watch that. Yeah, so that was definitely for my women. That was one of the top ones. Um, and another top performance, I don't think she gets quite enough credit. And it wasn't anything too crazy. But uh, I would say in the 52s, Joy Namani, um, again, put up a, another great performance. She broke the uh, world record total. She hit a European record in the squat, which is, if you watch her, she's not built for squat. So that's pretty great. On deadlift, she went for the world record on her second, and I think she lost it on balance or like that, and then tried to bump it up further on her third and just missed it. But if she had played it conserved, I think she would have bumped up her world record total more. But I think the most impressive thing about all of that during that whole time of, of winning multiple times and breaking world record deadlifts and totals and all that is she does it without a belt. Yeah, she, it's insane. <laughs> so, so she's squatting and deadlifting these numbers without a belt. Insane. And, I guess her what she's mentioned before made her idea is like she wants to try and see how far she can push her body without a belt. So it'd be interesting to see if any of these days she decides to throw on a belt if she gets like maybe another 
five kilos on her squat and maybe another seven and a half kilos on her, on her deadlift and all of a sudden she's breaking her total by even more. So I think that's like pretty crazy performance that someone can show up to a IPF world championship multiple times and win without a belt, just go out there and just lift the weights. Yeah, it's pretty wild. <laughs> um, so that, that Turkish dude did pretty well too. The guy I was talking about in the last podcast. Yeah. Uh, he yeah, ended that, up that junior kid. Uh, definitely interesting character. Um, seeing him and um, seeing him from like the warm room and, and and seeing them on the platform and doing the attempts. Like I don't know if you watched any of his squats, but he's like way leaned over, like like, like good morning style. Yeah, it, it's crazy. He's like so leaned over and just squatting up massive weights and like sometimes his back will round a little bit and he just keeps fighting through and standing up with it. And you're like. There's no way this guy's got any more in the tank. Then he goes goes up and wait and just does it again and again. And um, I believe on his second and his third squat, they were saying at the beginning of the squat, they weren't giving him the command because they're saying he's not upright enough. They're saying oh, he, yeah, he, he, he had a re-rack. Yeah. So I believe on his second and third attempt squat, he had to walk it out, set up. They said replace the bar, stand up more, set up again, unrack it again, walk it out. And then get the squat command, and he still freaking stands up with it, and he, and he finished with 330 kilos on the squat, gold medal in the squat. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. The, being able to do that after two re-racks is insane. It's it, it, wild, it was crazy. And then then he just he just benched. Um, I don't think there was anything like too crazy about his bench. But then deadlift again. This was another session where it was like one one flight, so you had 20 minute break, so it was moving fast, and so. You have to warm up quick. You have plenty of time to warm up for squats because after weigh-ins, you have lots of time. But then you got to warm up quick for bench. But bench usually don't need as many warm-ups. And then you got to warm up quick for deadlift. And if you're a big deadlifter like him, he, he has the biggest deadlift, you need to do a lot of warm-ups. So for our lifter, Tristan, we were down to like one warm-up left. And and the other guy from Turkey had like just started warming up. Like he pulled off like all our reds from like four reds or five reds down to one. Started doing one red, started doing two reds, doing three reds. And when we were done warming up and we walked over to the staging area um, to get ready to go, and they had started the lifting, he was still on like four reds or five reds, like still warming up. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like this guy's about to, to gas himself out. They're not dropping his opener, like. He's gonna go out there, and then of course, what do you know? As you expect, he goes out there and and just rips the weight up. Insane. And, uh, ends up with three fifty two point five, and the deadlift and, and hits a junior world record in the total. Yeah, it was crazy. He would have he would have had a silver medal in the open too. <laughs> Bananas. At uh, a yeah, he would have beat out Eric Willis. I mean. Yeah, you never know if, if that guy was in there. Eric Willis wouldn't have taken the big jump for the win. He would have taken a smaller jump. But yeah, he would he would have been on the podium. Um, he would have had the, the golden squat in the open, and he would have had probably the, the gold in, uh, in deadlift in the open, and he would have been up there, yeah, second or third place. So it's crazy. Um, Pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, anybody else? Some of the other people we talked about, we we did talk about for the juniors the battle of between Chloe, Vilma and Ida. Oh, and it yeah. turned out that uh, Vilma backed out last minute from competing. Um, not sure why. If it had to do with she had just competed at at Bench Worlds, so at the technical meeting before the first day, 
they have to they ask all the countries hey if there's anyone that's dropping out let us know so sweden announced that they're, they're dropping out so it turned out to be okay it's just chloe versus ida uh one versus one so i messaged hanny to let him know and, and i was like oh it kind of works out better for us because now we only have to worry about one lifter right and and um chloe had some some big numbers on the plan um, if she had, if she was having a good day, and she had done really good at Arnold's and had recovered well from her injury last year, but for whatever reason, um, just couldn't perform as uh, as good as we were hoping. So, uh, and Ida had like a, a really good day, minus her second deadlift. Like her her squats, very interesting. We watch how she squats. She just like completely bottoms out as far as you can go. Like loses all tightness and then just like grinds her way up. And Crazy. She did, and she did that for all, all three squats, whereas, like, Chloe's very, like, knees out, very tight, like, just barely hits, hits depth. I think she was getting called on one red light, maybe, for depth. So very different types of uh, styles of squats. But Ida beat her by two and a half kilos, grinding out 185. And I was like, that grinder of 185 with, like, bottoming out and, and, and tipping over, like, will we'll take out some energy for her, for her deadlift. Right. So we go on the bench, and, and Chloe... Battles out with the the Canadian lifter who got third place. They were battling out for the bench world record, so Chloe ended up with the bench world record. Um, and then it comes to deadlift, and um, so Chloe's deadlift, I, I I think maybe was a little bit off from what we were hoping for, but was still pushing it enough to make Ida work. And Ida missed her second deadlift on like it looked like balance, like she locked out her knees and maybe the her thighs hit like the bar forward and lost her balance. So. Then we went conservative to try and uh, push Chloe's total up more. And then I'd have to go to 225, which I think is probably an all-time PR for a competition because I think she had done 220 at this weight class and 222.5 in the 84s. So I was like, okay, 225, pretty good number. She's never done it before. She just missed her second on on our balance. Um we're in a pretty good position, and then what do you know? She executes it freaking perfectly and locks it out. Looked like she had more in her tank, and and she wins. Crazy. So, so another crazy battle where they, uh, they both broke the uh, junior world record in the total, and Chloe also had the the world record, the junior world record in the bench press. Yeah, it was a pretty tight margin. She won by two, uh, one and a half kilo. One and a half kilos. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Try to see what what that would have uh, placed in the open, though that was a uh, crazy uh, mishmash of people in the seventy twos. So it looks like it would have got them uh, sixth place because of five twenty was fifth place. Yeah, but, the seventy two open is crazy. Yeah, but they're they're right up there. They're seven and a half to ten kilos away from from fourth and fifth. And the uh, the previous junior lifter uh, winner from last year, Jessica Butner. Who moved from juniors now to open? She ended up getting second place in the open. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see with with these two juniors once they eventually age out, go to the open, how well they do in the open. Yeah, that class is just insane. Yeah, and and um, some of these classes get crazy when it goes back to nationals, like especially in the, in the U.S. where we're so stacked. It's like um, in the 63s, we already have Jen Thompson, Sam Calhoun, Jennifer Milliken, and then. Now Megan Scanlon is like talking about maybe going back up to 63s just because the cut down to 57s is is so hard and she wants to fill out her body more. So that then you might have Megan Scanlon in the 63s and like just winning nationals in the 63s is going to be uh, ridiculous. 
yeah. That's pretty wild. She'd be an animal at 63 now. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see how she does because she was a 63 a couple years ago, and she got, I think, like fourth or fifth at her first Nationals and then decided to make the cut down to 57s, one Nationals at 57s. But in some of the other meets that she did, she didn't cut weight. So like at the Arnold, she didn't cut weight um, and did and performed very well. So now it'll be interesting to see if not only is she not cutting weight, but then maybe filling out her body a little bit more putting on some even some more muscle, getting that squat up even more, what she would be able to do. Um, so she did 492.5 at the Arnold, not not filling out the weight class. So be interesting to see if she can if she can break the 500 barrier at Nationals if she goes 63s. Yeah, Nationals is gonna it's gonna be wild for the 63s. Yeah, that covers everything we covered in the last podcast. Yeah. I think that's uh, pretty much everything as far as um, some of the best performances, some of our predictions, uh, Danny versus Amanda. Of course, everyone wants to know about that. Ray, of course, everyone wants to know about that. Those were like the two biggest messages I was getting while I was in Sweden for everyone. Yeah. Um, went over a little bit of how, how our lifters uh, did. Um, now I get to relax a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> You're finally home. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, I got home. We had a, a, a local competition just one day uh, this past Saturday in Fort Myers. So we went and did that, uh, just announced all day, and then drove back home. Um, I get this week off. So fortunately, I get a week off to relax a little bit, catch up on emails and stuff like that. And yeah. then the following week, we got a just a one-day meet in Orlando I got to do. Um, and then the week after that, we got the Ray Williams Classic, as I said, down in Miami. Um, so that'll be easy for me. I can just sleep at home and then just drive over to Hybrid. Um, for that meet, we got Ray Williams will, will be there hanging out. I think I saw Dennis Cornelius on, on the roster, so it'll be interesting to see him, oh, nice. make, him make a comeback. Awesome. Uh, Adam Palmer for 9 for 9 is competing equipped, so it'll be fun watching him do watch an equipped lifter compete. Um, then, then it starts picking back up again. Like And then end of July, we're doing a, a meet in Arkansas to help develop the state, so i got to fly out to Arkansas in the middle of summer. Jesus. Uh, help out with a small meet there. Then we got uh, the North American Championships coming up um, in the beginning of August in Costa Rica. That'll be a fun trip. We got a couple of our lifters competing. We got Sarah Brenner competing yep. in the Open, and we got Lauren Roseman competing in the Masters. So, um, Pennsylvania representing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, Sarah finally gets her her shot at an international meet to finally set that world record deadlift that she's been uh, unofficially doing for the past couple of years. <laughs> so, yeah. we'll, we'll be able to make it official, and um, she's actually coming over to SNS Barbell a couple times, right? Yeah, yeah, she's been dropping in, and she's gonna come over and maybe help out with some of the seminars. Yeah, yeah, we got seminars coming up um, for the SNS University, and Sarah's going to do one or two of them. Yeah. So if anyone's listening and is in the area, you want to come over to uh, SNS Barbell in Brooklyn and learn from some of the seminars and help out Sarah with some of her funding to Costa Rica, since uh, the lifters got to pay for all their expenses themselves. Uh, they'll they'll help her out on her trip. Yeah, we'll we'll actually have the schedule for that announced pretty soon. Um, you'll be able to find it on Instagram and on our website. Cool. Cool. That wraps it. This is a podcast PR with almost an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I always so, try. I always try and keep them short um, so that people listen all the way through. But uh, maybe, maybe this one's interesting enough where people will listen to us for an hour and a half. Yeah, uh, God help them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see you guys next time. Have a good one. All right, bye.